So, so we are we are now live. We're hot. Yeah. Well, I, I'm wondering how you want to start this, Josh. If you want to start it by just submitting to everything I had to say last week and realizing how how much of a superior uh, podcaster I am, that's fine. I I'll take it. Um, oh, yeah, that's wanted... right. I, I mean, just, <laughs> as I've thought some more, as I've uh, engaged, we've had a couple of people respond to it, uh, and the more I've thought about it, the more I think you are. It, yeah. Again, I still don't know like what I think and how it looks uh, in the world, but I, I think you are mostly right in that the church definitely has a moral responsibility to engage with this, um, that it just doesn't make sense. If you're sectioning off, this is how I live from this is what I believe, you're not doing it right. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that should look or the healthy way for the church to engage it or how, I mean, cause we, we we've talked about this a fair amount. There's a lot of ways that American church engage with engages with politics that are really toxic. Um, so figuring out ways to not do that and not, I really don't want partisan politics to infect the church, but also like, you're right. This is not a partisan issue. Like this is a humanitarian issue. This is the thing that is wrong. Jesus would clearly be very upset about it. God is upset about it. And therefore we should be upset about it and figuring out how to make it better. Um, yeah. Well, and I feel like my growth on that had more to do with being like, yeah, social media isn't necessarily the answer. Like you just <laughs> saying, Hey, this is wrong or this is right on social media. Um, kind of is like, what do you call it? Um, speaking into a, like echo something Shouting yeah echo the- chamber yeah i mean even if you were like commenting on like um people who you know you don't agree with you rarely does that transition into something i have found to be like yes i didn't waste my time at all you know kind of <laughs> yeah however I mean- if it's i'm not huge on the internet thing but I don't really know where else to go. I'm like, well, that's a problem, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, that just turns into apathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, on to rants. Um, yes, yes. What was it? I had something I was going to talk about this week. I have a rant. Can I? Can I? Yeah, say yeah. Rant? Go for it, and I'll try to figure out what it was that I was okay. going to say. I think I think this is super appropriate to have this rant at um, on this episode. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody is knows this. Is there was a live action, uh, I say live action in quotes, by the way, adaption of um, Lion King that came out this last uh, week and dominated, just blew almost all the records out of the water in terms of box office success. And I think that this is a direct reflection of um, our devastatingly corrupt and... Um, horrible state of humanity i don't know if i've connected all the dots yet but i'm going to um, oh, i look forward to that i don't yeah. think i'll agree with you that much well maybe i want to emphasize how just as a filmmaker myself how just so depressed i am that a movie from almost all accounts is like a direct, at times shot for shot remake of an animated movie from the 1994, that a movie that bland in originality and done in a way that is not live action, it's all computer generated, but it's a 
it's computer generated animation that's trying to reproduce real life. And even people who don't necessarily like the movie have criticized or have said, well, this is an evolution in animation because it's, it's really real looking and stuff. I want to um, put the record straight as somebody who, um, Josh, I think you would support this. I mean, you know me well enough. You could say this is accurate. As somebody who studied animation in yep. great detail for, detail for years. Decades. And years of my life. Yeah. And yeah. You're into decades, Jacob. Stop it. Let's not undersell the amount you've studied animation. Um, the whole trying to reproduce real life thing was happening in the 1920s, 1910s. It's called rotoscoping. And it was devastatingly boring because what they found out is people don't really care to um, really pay attention to something that that looks real but is slightly off, you know. I guess they thought, well, maybe we could just use real people if that's the case. Um, animation was intentionally changed from the 1910s, 1920s to become more expressionistic because that tells stories better. Not because they couldn't do the realistic stuff, but because, especially in the case of um, Lion King, you actually want to see expression and impressionism that kind of clearly indicates scenarios especially when this is a kids movie kids really resonate with animation because they truly simplify everything and so instead of that what this disney animation movie is doing is it's trying to make render realistic everything and parents are making the stupid uh comment that well, it's a kid's movie, maybe I wouldn't like it, but I'm I'm pretty sure my kids really are going to like it. I guarantee you, if you, like, go 20 years from now, even though your kids will not have um, grown up with um, Lion King, the original, being in theaters or anything, they will like that movie ten times more than whatever you want to call this devastation of a film. Because... Um, Kids actually enjoy the the creative aspect of of animation rather than the stupid rendering of realism and thinking it's this big thing. It's not. So I have two thoughts. Uh, one on the filmmaking and realism side, and whether or not that animation was a thing in the 1910s, I have no idea. You sound reasonable to me. Uh, I mean, and for the kids responding to it, from what I've seen from Emma, that seems reasonable. Uh, number two, this piece that uh, strikes me of talking about Lion King being re-released and it's just a reskinning of the original thing and it frustrating you that it, that makes a bunch of money. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't be frustrated about that, but I would contend that a fair amount of the money that it's making would happen even if it was literally the same movie. I mean, they've done that a couple of times where you just re-release a movie into theaters and like you can make a bunch of money. Like if they, if they had re-released the original Lion King rather than doing this new movie, it still would have made a crap ton of money because a bunch of people really like it. Um, so I'm not saying yeah. you shouldn't be upset. I'm saying it might be worth moderating the upsetness about the money a little bit based on that. But, yeah, but also, Josh, this is movies, be... so 
you you have a much better idea of how upset you should be than I do. Just then from the business side, that's my thoughts. But I'm saying then you wouldn't be um, wasting a bunch of people's time. Uh, a bunch of artists, great artists, by the way. John Favreau is a great director, or at least a good one, who could be doing far more creative work than directing uh, just live action. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying you're upset and it should go to zero. I'm just saying maybe we go from 100 to, like, 90. I, I guess my rant is done, Josh, so... What, cool. What do you um, so uh, I've been thinking a fair amount uh, about playing Ultimate Frisbee. So I, I play Ultimate Frisbee eh, not nearly as much as I used to. Um, depending, somebody was asking me the other day, am I good at Ultimate Frisbee? And the answer to that is it depends entirely on what your frame of reference is. Um, if, if you are someone who does not play Ultimate Frisbee, yes, I am quite good at Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, but the Ultimate Frisbee that I mostly play at this point is being a practice player for Boise Laksa, which is currently, I believe, the number 16 team in the nation. In that context, I am quite bad. Um, I, like, didn't make the, didn't make the roster. Uh, I'm a practice player. I am, on any given night, I am the worst player there, or at least bottom five. Um, like, just athletically, I'm not in the same class. Not as good at Frisbee, not as experienced. I mean, just across the board. Um, and, and so it's led me... I, I mean, when I was in college, I never really had the chance to test when I was actually in good enough shape to maybe 23-year-old me could have played at this level. Uh, and so I'm trying to think about it and I'm saying, hey, if I can't be the best, if I can't compete at the highest level available to me, um, like, why am I playing? And I'm recognizing, like, there's a lot of it, like, Ultimate Frisbee is a lot of fun. Like, there's a lot of value to play. I mean, and even playing competitive Ultimate, like going out and going to tournaments, even if I can recognize it's like, no, I don't belong on the best team in Boise. I probably, eh, I maybe belong on the second best team. Um, I could be kind of tail end of the roster, but it's like, no, like, I play Frisbee because I want to have fun and I want to be connected to a community uh, and I want to have a reason to stay in shape. But ultimately, being a husband and a father, uh, and having a 40 hour a week desk job, I am not going to be the athlete that I was when I was 23. Like I just, I just don't care that much anymore. Um, I'm not yeah. willing to make the sacrifices it would take to be there. And it's like, that's fine. Like being a little bit competitive is okay. Being kind of good is okay. Um, and being able to, able to go out and play hard and not be nearly as good as I could be, or as I was like, that's fine. I think. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm still trying to work through this with myself, but like, I'm trying to figure out like, where do, where do we fit in, uh, you know, I'm not the best ultimate Frisbee player I could be, but you know, maybe still have fun. And I think it's the thing that's tough for me is like still playing competitive ultimate in that where I recognize like I'm playing to win, but I'm not playing nearly as hard to win. Not so much on the day that I'm playing as on the weeks and months before, like the preparation. I am not, I am not all in. Uh, and that's yeah, yeah. that's a real shift for me from how athletics were from when I was probably actually I was like five <laughs> to when I was about twenty three. Uh, like it was either on or it was off. I was either a hundred. Like if I wasn't maximizing what I could do, I was upset about it. Um, and that that was the question: when when did I have the more opportunity? When could I learn more? And I was like, no, I know plenty more that I could do better, and I just can't do for one reason or another. Uh, I'm not making it happen right now. And I'm kind of trying to come to terms with that and saying like, yeah, like those are the choices. That, like if I wanted to make a different set of choices, I shouldn't have married Megan. We shouldn't have had Emma. And it's like, I've prioritized, prioritized 
uh, my marriage and being a parent and particularly like the person that I married over uh, what I could have been. And I feel really good about that choice. Um, but it, it's kind of an adjustment and I was kind of trying to think about that of uh, wrapping my head around that. No, that's a difficult uh, challenge. And to be honest, I've talked to you um, without this getting too ranty on my part. The big difference is that it's like me trying to become an actual professional ultimate Frisbee player. Where yeah. like that is um, with filmmaking, there are absolutely movies I need to make. And when I think of a situation like you and Megan, you know, I'm like, yeah, that just wouldn't work. Because as yeah. much as I, I think I could fall in love, I, my um, passion is combined with my faith, you know? And yeah. I feel literally called to make certain stories. And to be honest, family life really gets in the way of like no, yeah, there's, driving there's for a some lot of stuff you can't do. It's certainly I mean, important. It's valuable. I, I like it. But yeah, like if you want to, I mean, in some ways, I don't know that I would agree with this across the board, but if you want to be as devoted of a filmmaker as you, actually, I would agree with it. If you want to be as devoted of a filmmaker as you can, you probably shouldn't have a family. I don't know if that makes you the best filmmaker you could be um, they, because there's a lot of that depth and difference and richness that I could, I mean, I could see it going either way of making you a better filmmaker, but you certainly won't be as devoted or as focused of a filmmaker um, yeah, and and I would argue you shouldn't be like that. That the things that you can do when you are not attached. I mean, Paul talks about that in um, one of his letters, where he's like, "If you're single and you can stay single, do that because you can put all of your time into like going and doing stuff." But it's like, well, some of you are going to end up married. <laughs> Which, I mean, like it's good, it's really valuable, but it's also like it takes a bunch of time. It is having a relationship at that level is. A very, very it's something you invest a lot into and get a lot out of. But it's like this is going to really, really, really change your life. So yeah, yeah. are are you saying that you think that you need to um, unplug even more from Ultimate Frisbee? Or I, I don't know. Um, I need to. So the thing that I'm really struggling with at this point in my life is figuring out a healthy way to. Uh, have a good amount of exercise such that I stay um, healthy and in good shape because I recognize like with my body type and of looking at the older males in my family, like there, I will likely gain a significant amount of weight as I get older. I mean, and of just looking at my lifestyle, like the reason I haven't ballooned up already is because I've exercised a ton. I've run a bunch of, like I eat more than I probably should. I need to work on that. And so figuring out how can I, um, I'm inherently very lazy and will do the least that I think I can. Um, and so finding uh, ways to motivate myself into exercise that just set that bar high enough to where I will continue to be healthy. And Ultimate Frisbee has been valuable for that. And, and I enjoy it a fair amount. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out how to reorient my life into being an adult and being a father and being a husband. So, yeah, yeah. that's my rant for the week. How do you want to jump into our main subject? This is um, such an interesting one, simply because uh, the difference between what this means to you and what this means to me is like the difference between night and day. Or, or do you think I'm over exaggerating? 
Uh, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the other thing is I would venture to bet there are zero duplicates on our two lists. Yeah. Um, no, if we I went top remember. 10, I would still think, I think we would probably have to get into top 20. At top 20, I would guess there would be one, maybe one or two overlaps. Maybe not. Let's put it this way, Josh. I was considering a list where there was literally only one movie you you probably had even heard of. Ooh. Yeah. All right, all right. We watch I, I didn't go that way. Yeah, we we watch movies for way. very different reasons, and that is definitely going to come out. Okay. So uh, I'll start off with what movies mean to me. Um, it, there are two main things that I like about movies uh, that I, I look for in a movie. So the first one that we've talked about a lot is movies can transport you to a new world. Uh, world building is very important to me. There are multiple movies uh, that didn't make the actual top five movies list that I had to include in my honorable mentions uh, because they are great world building and they are very exciting worlds. But I'm like, I don't know that I love any of these movies individually, but they transport you to such a cool place. So for a long yeah. time, world building was about the only thing I cared about in movies. I, I mean, like there was other stuff. I mean, cool, there's special effects and whatnot. But the primary determinant of if I liked a movie was, is there a believable, interesting world we are being put into or not? Um, yeah. More recently, I feel like over the last five, probably over the last five years, uh, the other thing that I've... Uh, has started to hit me more is as I have grown and developed emotionally uh, movies that can put it, it, that have kind of a particular emotional message of community that one of the things movies can do is they can communicate things that you can't just say like I can say I love you but that may or may not mean that much whereas with a movie you can uh, create a story and create scenes and emotions that communicate what I'm trying to say when I say I love you. Um, and they can hit with that emotional force. So those are the two things that I'm looking for. Um, there, there are a couple other movies that, oh, actually, I got uh, two other movies I got to throw onto the honorable mentions list now that I think about it. any movie that makes me tear up a little bit. Uh, I'm probably pretty excited about Yes, yes. Well, and your second point really does resonate a lot with me. It's like, that's always been the theme that has guided me for making my lists and not making my lists is like whether it moves me. And to be honest, what I originally thought was if it moves me to tears, that means it's better, you know? And then I um, began to explore in different ways that you, than I think you cared to, which is un, totally understandable, Josh. But like, I went into Scorsese and was told, for example, Taxi Driver is one of the best movies ever made. I watched Taxi Driver and there was no ooey gooey feelings. There was no, like, I was so pissed off at the main character. It wasn't even funny. And I, I, I was in my um, adulthood, I think I was 19. And I wrote this horrible Scorsese is not nearly as complex as everybody says he is. And he's a bunch of crap. <laughs> and then, um, you know, uh, 10 years later, I would totally say Taxi Driver is one of the greatest movies ever made. And there's such a complexity to Scorsese that you just wouldn't get if you list, if you watched a Disney movie or even a Spielberg movie, you know. So... 
Did you not know everything at 19? No, but I thought I did. But, like, I had been in love with movies, as you know, at 19 for years. Like, I think you'd never remember me not being, like, the guy who wanted to hold the camera and At 19, you you were more devoted to movies and, like, knew more about movies than I do now. And likely that I will in the entirety of my life. But, like, to emphasize kind of what movies mean to me is um, they truly, I think, represent, if done right, a universal language that anybody, no matter what religion or language they have, um, can kind of connect to and be moved by, which is a pretty magnificent thing and makes me just like every time I struggle and I'm like man I really am not not doing well in my career you know goals and is making movies really that that worth it all I need to do is kind of think about that point you know and be like oh yeah yeah movies are you know like because there's very little in terms of entertainment slash art that can do so much you know in such a little amount of time as uh films can you know yeah yeah i I think i would i think i would agree with that i think some of that um hits on some of my some of my list yeah so let's start the list i think since i um have i mean you do vocabulary of movies than you um maybe i should go second but um so i could I could finish the list with actual the actual best movie ever made. Um, oh yeah, not you saying, definitely don't, you not definitely don't Josh, think my number one is particularly high on the best movies ever made. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I we'll don't see, think, Josh. I don't even think you think my number one movie is that good. But oh, that's, no. I mean, you let's see here. You like my number two and my number four movies are the movies you like most off of my list. But Maybe. anyway, we'll get there. We'll see. This uh, okay, Josh Hamilton, number five movie. Um, so number five. So this is your favorite movie, right? Yes. Okay. My, approximately my fifth favorite movie, as as we have noted. Uh, I threw this list together. I could be convinced of some others, but these are certainly five of my favorite movies, roughly in order. Um, okay. So number five is The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version, directed by Ron Howard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the Grinch, it is a fascinating movie. I mean, it is a kid's movie. It's very much, or it's a movie that does it really well of, it is sort of made for kids, but you can very much watch it on two different levels at a time. And I really enjoy movies that can do that where it's like, you can watch it as a kid and it's like, cool, this is fine. And then you can watch it as an adult and be like, oh, wow, there's a lot of stuff going on there um, that you can do it. Um, one of the things that I love about that movie is the feeling. So going back to the world building of it feels like a Dr. Seuss book turned into um, live action animation. Like if you took a Dr. Seuss book and just popped it up, that there's so many pieces of the architecture or the characters or the makeup that are just fantastical. Uh, and as you're watching the movie, it's like, oh, yeah, like it, that kind of uh cartoonish fake like this is blatantly not realistic i mean kind of what you're talking about with the animation earlier um but like of the dr seuss clocks that are spinning all over the place and have funky numbers oh yeah, um, yeah and all of that stuff 
And that's one of the things that I really like about it. Of It's very true to the source material in a lot of ways, but it also goes well beyond it. Um, some of my favorite adaptations of books into movies are of really short books where you take and you can do everything in the book and then you have to do more and you have to build onto it. And those those are the movies that I've really enjoyed um, where you have more time to explore the thought and the space. Um, I, I also just really like that kind of humor uh, really appeals to me quite a bit. Um, I, I, the, uh, the joke that I always think of Oh man, there's there's a lot of lines out of the Grinch that I kind of want to drop in here. But the the joke that really hits a lot of those points to me is, is there's the two teenagers and their girlfriends who go up the mountain and they see the Grinch and they go, they come back down. They're like, oh, it was the Grinch, and everybody crashes. And the mayor's like, your kids weren't up there bugging the Grinch, were they? And they were like, yeah. Unless the dad stops them and he's like, no, I'm sure they were just playing with matches or defacing public property. <laughs> And just that, like, disconnect where it's like, that's not a funny joke if you're five years old. But recognizing that, like, the two things that you're doing rather than bugging the Grinch are playing with matches and defacing public property. Like, I just love that so much. And everyone is just relieved. We're like, oh, good. They're just playing with fire and doing vandalism and, and like, that kind of thing. And then the other thing that's hit me a lot more as I've gotten a little bit older is the way that it deals with, like, mental health and grief um, and being upset about where, like, the Grinch is a very, very broken person, and it's played for humor a lot, but he is legitimately working through feeling rejected and abandoned by the community, and it's him trying to reconcile with that and deal with being really messed up and really unhealthy. Um, and so, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've reckoned, like, that story of him coming back, because it's wrapped in all the humors and, and the kids stuff, it's a lot more accessible to me. Um, and, and so I like it that you can you can watch it for just the humor um, or the kind of nice, oh, Christmas is important message. But then you can also watch it on a deeper level and see uh, some of that. And I'm not saying this is a deep philosophical movie, but there is um, there is some meat. There's something worth thinking about if you're going back a second and third time to watch it. Um, it it's a movie that there is it, there's legitimately some more there. And that's. That's something that I've been able to see and interact with at a very different level at when I was 15 as opposed to 20, as opposed to 25, as opposed to 27 or whatever I am now. And so as I've learned more and I've encountered some of those things in my life of saying, oh, OK, like coming back to it with a different perspective, I've enjoyed a lot more. Which well, a lot of people I feel like would say is dressing up the Grinch way too much. But I like it a lot. I, I do want to say one thing right about turn to Jacob's number. Oh, no. Oh, or, no. <laughs> one more thing about that movie is as much as. It wouldn't even come close to my top list. It that there is a moment that is actually quintessential to me understanding cinema. And again, it was because I was the perfect age to kind of experience that movie. And it was like, uh, I think I was maybe when it came into theaters, maybe 10, 11. And so um, it's when um, the narrator is talking about in a snowflake, you know, there was a sun and I'm like, oh, look, it's snowing. You know, and, and, and then they say, you know, in the snowflake and the camera goes into the snowflake and I'm the perfect age that that illusion was so real. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. We just went into a freaking snowflake and there's a, like a whole world over here, you know, and like the kid's imagination, like you were saying, world, world building, like goes crazy in terms of being like, how many other worlds are there? And, you know, 
like what is this uh how could there be such detail and such you know emotion and just one little um piece here it, it it just blew my mind josh in a way that um i still understand today and want to rep replicate you know yeah <clears throat> anyways yeah we're now taking a hard turn that this is the problem josh i'm gonna want to spend time no matter what movie choose. <laughs> sorry but um so my number five is one that's i think a little bit more traditional it's uh the dead poet society oh yeah i've actually watched that one yes this is such a quintessential film for my um my life just in my childhood because i really struggled with um learning and at least learning in the way that i was told is learning you know yeah and that was the traditional type of um fill in the blank uh essay kind of essay answer testing and to see a movie where a teacher is in this very formal environment but then teaches in this kind of open-minded hardly ever taking place in the classroom kind of way or at least taking place in the classroom in the way that you normally kind of deal with the classroom yeah, yeah, yeah. um was just so important to me and then there was the music it's just it's such a good movie told in such a sensitive way by um peter weirer who's one of my favorite directors if not my favorite director so dead poet society some people aren't huge on that i was devastated to see uh i think it's one and a half star rating from one of my favorite critics ebert dude he gave it a horrible rating he said it was a bunch of crap you, you could you could only imagine my, my feelings right Josh? I, yeah i mean that's uh dead poet society is not a movie that was made for everyone to love dead poet society is made to be a very powerful movie and if it doesn't like if that misses for you, if it doesn't, I, I mean, for you, it resonated a ton. For me, it resonated slightly oppositely of because our learning styles being nearly opposite of recognizing, oh, man, like there's another way to learn out there. There's another way of being. There's a lot more um, out there. There's and, and like the kid who wants to be um, in, in doing the theater, doing the drama, doing some of that stuff. But he gets squished into a life that doesn't make sense. And. On the one hand, that doesn't resonate with me at all because I've known since probably early in high school that I just wanted to work with computers. Like that's what I get excited about. Um, yeah, yeah. But on the flip side of recognizing that is not for everyone. Like I can't just say, hey, copy me because it doesn't, my life is not replicable for a lot of other people. And so of having my mind open to that, um, it, but like, if that doesn't resonate with you, if you don't get that, if the movie doesn't land as being powerful and emotionally impacting, then no, it's not good. It's just emotionally difficult. Like, yeah. it's not hard for me to imagine someone not getting that, not feeling that, not resonating with that, or thinking it's unrealistic, um, or mm. any of those. And it's like, it, if you don't get the super powerful, super emotional, good thinking outside the box, uh, here's how you challenge the way that you think, uh, then yeah, it's terrible. Because, well, because but it, like in, it hurts a lot. It is a painful movie. It it exacts exacts a significant cost from you. And if you yeah, don't have yeah. that beautiful uh, win to go along with it, 
to make that pain rich and worth something. And it's like, you're just making me sad for no reason. Yeah, that's true. Which I do not agree with that criticism at all. I, I, I do not enjoy dead poet society. I think it is a very good movie. Yeah. Part of me thinks that be, um, that movie is just as much for somebody like you who actually didn't struggle because the point of the movie isn't to say everybody, um, needs to break out or is better um, not meant for like the typical traditional education field and um, doesn't flow well in that. And thus they need to have a different and a different form of creative input. The the point of that movie is to say, even if you're fine going in the kind of traditional route, you need to understand and appreciate the like, other reasoning for learning and stuff and, and, and be pushed out of your comfort zone. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so anyways, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really good movie. Um, anybody, uh, who wants to watch a quintessential kind of building block film should go and check out Dead Poets Society. I mean, as long as you're at least, I would not recommend that movie to anyone under the age of 15 yeah, yeah, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 is when I would start thinking that movie has any value. I would say uh, maybe 13, I mean, 13 or older. Is that's your 13, that's 8th grade? Uh, I, I, I could see that. It could be argued into 8th grade. Um, it depends on who you... Um, that, that is but true. I, I think you should listen to watch it a little younger simply because that's when I watched it. And it's super important for you to understand before... It, taking too much education, formal education, that yeah. these things are worthy of pursuing. And yet they have drawbacks or they have uh, dangers. As yeah. you, do you remember the big danger without going to spell? Spoiler. No, if we're not spoiling, spoiling. oh yeah. I mean, I've talked about the movie being painful. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> I, I'm definitely referencing the thing you are thinking of. And for all of you who have watched the movie, yeah. Yeah, that's still uh, yes. Okay, so uh, let's go to number four. Um, so The Dark Knight by Christopher Nolan um, is number four for me. Josh, just introduced, showed it to Esther. Just Ooh. yesterday, like a few days. She was blown away. She, it I is, mean, it was so it, fun to watch with my 14-year-old sister. Um, so as I, was, as I was writing this up, as I was coming up with this list, I was like, I know I love this movie. I have not watched this movie in like eight or ten years. I just remember how much I loved it. And like we own this movie, but it's not a movie that I can watch easily because I'm not going to watch it with Megan. I'm not going to watch it with Emma. Like I'm super excited for like 10 or 15 years from now when I can start introducing Megan to somebody. Like Megan and I have had the conversation about Lord of the Rings a bunch of times of how old does Emma have to be before I can show this to her? Not because there's anything that inappropriate in Lord of the Rings, but because it's scary stuff. And I've realized this like with a two and a half year old, I'm not going to show her anything that could give her nightmares or give her ideas for bad behavior. Like it's just not worth it. I don't care how good the movie is. Uh, and so like, you're super restricted yeah. in choices. So I'm really excited when I can get to do some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, The Dark Knight, like it's just this awesome, gritty movie. Like it feels 
real. There's people doing cool, gnarly stuff. The, the characters are incredibly complex. It feels like a big real world. And as I was thinking about it, like the Joker is absolutely insane and unbelievable, but he feels like he's real and he could exist. Where like he is just nuts and off the chain all the time. And Heath Ledger has such an incredible uh, performance and like the way they set him up and do all of this stuff. Like it is just the opening uh, bank robbery scene is just remarkable for introducing the Joker, introducing how he functions, like the stuff that he does of being this incredible planner, but also being absolutely nuts and totally ruthless. Um, and then you've got the Dark Knight and you've already had Batman Begins to set up all of this stuff. Um, I, as I think about that movie, there's like four or five different arcs where I'm like, that arc could have sustained a movie on its own, and all of them are woven together. But Josh, think about how important it was, like you mentioned just before, to not have this be the first movie. Like, yeah. Joker needed to come in at least second movie just because you couldn't do the origin story and the Joker justice. Yeah. It was so brilliant of Christopher Nolan. Um, and the only downside I would say is the third one couldn't possibly measure up to the second yeah. one. Um, but it was so brilliant of those, those creators to hold off on the Joker until this movie. It, I mean, it's just, it, they gave him, they gave him actually the time that was needed. Um, yeah. it was such a good movie. We, we, you and I watched, uh, Dark Knight Rises together, actually. And oh, you yeah. made the comment that that should have been two movies because it was just too much, you know? Yeah. Um, and that is an issue with Nolan. It's just the Dark Knight was just the perfect oh, amount yeah. of... Because everything comments on each other. The, yep. the story of Joker comments on Batman's story. The story of Harvey Dent comments, you know, on, on what the Joker's trying to do. And what Bat, um, what Bruce Wayne's trying to do, it's just so well put together in that way, you know. Yep. Anyway, yeah. Number four for okay. you. Okay, number four for me is a separation, which I'm pretty sure you never haven't heard ever. Of it. <laughs> nope. Dude, it's it's such a good movie, and it's uh, directed by an Iranian filmmaker. His name is Askar Ferretti. I'm butchering the name, but he's such a potent director but a separation is a very simple story about two people in present day iran divorcing which is a much bigger deal in iran than it is Amer yeah, in america yeah. and um the the father needing to deal with a and this is why i think josh you might find this very fascinating uh the this the, the husband needing to deal with a father who's um basically had a stroke and um is on his way out you know what i'm saying yeah for some personal maybe maybe this is why you shouldn't watch it i don't know but it's a it, it's a very similar situation as as uh what your dad and you guys needed to deal with with your grandpa yeah um, I, I feel okay saying that just just because i've i know you've had a podcast already about yeah. Right? yeah yeah so anyways what happens is it's a, it's actually a mystery um story that we we slowly kind of understand what happened and it involves a housekeeper who comes in to try to help 
the husband um, deal with his father. But there is literally no villains in this story. There is a lot of people you hate at times, but um, the director um, just refuses to let you stay angry at anybody or not stay angry, but like hate anybody. He, mm. he imbues humanity in every single character. And it's just a really fascinating, um, simple story about, you know, um, connection and the, the, the separation um, it could be speaking to a lot of things, but it, it starts out with a, a husband and a wife trying to talk a judge into allowing them to separate as because they don't love each other anymore and they have a daughter and it's it's devastating dude i just i just think it's such a brilliant commentary and there are so many limitations like i'll just say one one of the limitations is um for whatever reason um the daughter is not allowed on camera to be filmed touching her grandfather. Like it's some weird law that was mm -hmm. made uh, that, that Iranians have. Um, this is just one of many. If you watch it, you'll see that they have a shawl. All the women have shawls on their head because yeah. they literally cannot be filmed without one, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. really difficult when you're trying to do a personal intimate you know, film with you know just household drama because usually yeah. people don't wear shawls when they're inside just but anyways they uh the filmmaker just brilliantly takes all these restrictions and uses them to further the story the like potency of the story it's interesting Josh. the thing that's interesting to me is i think about that um and a little bit of dead poets society too of those both peg the or i mean this one sounds like i haven't Obviously, I haven't seen it, um, but peg the kind of emotional stuff that sounds like a lot of emotional stuff. But they're both zeros on the world building side. Um, that like yes. just in real ordinary spaces. And so it's interesting to me, particularly thinking about a separation. I'm like, I don't particularly want to watch that movie. But if you took that same movie, those same sensibilities, and then you set that in Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm very interested in this story, and I and I, I would be at least much more likely to watch it. And I don't. That's interesting to me. I don't know what that says to me about me or about movies. Uh, but I was like, huh, that's that's interesting. Like the certain level of this. Maybe it's just a certain level of escapism that I'm looking for in a movie. Like yeah, yeah. I've got enough life in my normal life. I don't. I don't go to black move. Like I just go live my <laughs> life for three hours if I wanted to. <laughs> Anyway, well, yeah, but that sounds like an interesting, um, fabulous. I don't know, Josh. Just simply because it was made in Iran, you might find the world building far more fascinating than you're giving it yeah, credit that, for. It just that, that may be. That may be. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. what's your number number three, my friend? Number three. Uh, this is another movie that I don't think you like that much. Uh, Secondhand Lions. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, so it's a. Uh, I haven't really watched it, so I can't. It is, yeah, it is a. Uh, I I can't think of any particularly good reasons that you would like it that much. Um, but it's so it's a fascinating story. It, it kind of the broad plot is it's this um kid whose mother is not great. Um, dad is out of the. I don't think his dad ever gets mentioned. 
uh, in the movie almost at all. And so he's going for the summer to live with his great uncles um, who are rumored to be very wealthy. Um, and so his mom kind of wants him to find the money and not have to deal with him for a summer. Um, and so it's about him. Uh, like just the, the two pieces that I love about this are just the sense of mystery and wonder about the world of do the uncles have the money? How did the uncles get the money? Like what happened? And there's, there's a bunch of cutaways to uh, one of the uncles telling the story um, and, and just the kid trying to adapt to this. Very, I mean, the uncles are just crazy old men. Uh, and yeah, they are yeah. just hilarious. And so I like them a lot. And like just that mystery and wonder about the world. Um, and then there's a, a kind of reoccurring thing in the plot of, uh, the what every boy needs to know about being a man speech. Um, and mm. the the boy gets part of that speech. Uh, and, and some of the stuff in that speech I really like, and they really resonate with me. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you just hear the what every boy needs to know about being a man speech, it's like, I don't even know that I agree with all of that stuff. But when you see it in the context of the movie and the man who says it and the life he has lived and the life he continues to live, it's like, oh... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like it, it, one of the things that he says is the things that are most worth believing in life are the things that may or may not be true. Uh, and then he lists a couple of them, um, which is good. I always triumph for, oh, triumphs over evil. Um, true love never dies. Um, Can you say that again? Uh, so good will always triumph over evil. No, true no. What does he say about those quotes? Oh, the things that are most important in life um, are things that may or may not be true. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like that. The choosing to believe them. It, like, it, that was something where he was like, just because something's true doesn't mean you can't believe in it. And, like, just thinking about that from a world perspective, that's a really dangerous way to think of just picking the things that you believe in. But then when you look at him and the stuff that he did, the life that he lived, the person that he was, it's like, oh, like, if I take the best version of that philosophy and I'm saying, I am going to be a man, I'm going to be a good man who protects the people around me, who loves well. Um, who is like, who is there for people um, like that is, that is a really good, really powerful thing. And you can almost sort of trick yourself into doing good stuff. And so like the process of both the kid finding the uncles and needing that, uh, that mentorship and that, you know, like, he's a kid who pretty clearly has not had, I mean, he's a good kid, but just hasn't had strong male role models and of him growing into that and of saying, Oh, wow. Like it, getting to be around them and the way that he grows through it. But then also the way that the uncles grow, because they've just been crazy old men for the last couple of decades. And like, they are really old codgers at the start and the ways that they grow and develop and learn. And like uh, that process of adoption and uniting and the kid does not have a functional family and him gaining that family and everyone becoming more whole through that process. Um, that really, I, I really like that. Like that triggers something deep inside me of yes, I want to be able to do that. I I mean, kind of what he's talking about in his speech, I want that to be true. I want to be able to be that. Um, I want to be able to be on honestly either end of that. Um, that's a thing that I want to be true that I, and, and it, yeah, it just, it makes me feel good. Good. Yeah. And Josh, I, I actually want to watch that because you're, you're not the first person to suggest that movie. And, um, yeah, maybe I could watch that with Esther sometime or something like that. That's, that's like 14-year-old. They would take it, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of movie. I, I feel like that movie would be good. 
uh, probably best between eight and 18, 25. Okay. 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 Nice. Somewhere in that neighborhood. I, I mean, I'll be, I, I'm at, I'm 27 and I have it listed as my third favorite movie. Um, yeah. But that's in large part because I interacted with it. I think I first watched it, I think it was maybe 10, um, which was about the age the kid is at the time. Mm, okay. Uh, so I'm well, trying to think, yeah, because it's a very, it, it's another one that's kind of told as a kid's story. It, not like little, little kids, but kind of late elementary, early middle school. That's, I think that's kind of the way it's told. And, and it, I mean, it's kind of the same as the Grinch where it's got a couple of those deeper levels that you can watch it as an adult. Um, and oh, see yeah. some more stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would it would be a good one to watch with Esther. I, I would be fascinated to hear. It's another movie that I can't, I, I don't really know how to evaluate how other people would like it because of the deep emotional hooks I already have into it um, that are largely divorced from whether or not it's a good movie. Like it means a lot to me at this point. So even if the quality of filmmaking wasn't what it could be, I it, it has spoken deeply to me. Yeah. So one of the only issues with like being open to the Scorsese taxi driver type story is you become you I mean, especially if you research it and stuff, you, you get all a very cynical about the happy ever after story. Like there's so many cynics about those kind of like the positive message if you don't earn the positive, you know, and even if you do, you know, that's not realistic to humanity. And yet like that quote even that you said about um, the most important things to kind of hold on to are the ones that are potentially not necessarily true is like so important because like I do think as a person making movies that it is my job to communicate my ideals. Not in a way that like is an easy fix kind of thing, but like super important like to to call a movie messagey is not necessarily a critique that i um would say is bad you know because it's like yeah i hope your movie has a message you know so well i mean yeah it, i like that if you're offering a compelling vision of what it means to think like you um exactly yeah i like that i mean that if i feel like i'm being told how to think i don't like that. i'm trying to remember there was a movie i think i watched it with you and it was about a Muslim guy who was going undercover with a terrorist unit um, and, and like trying to sabotage their stuff where he's like, this is not at all in line with what I believe. Um, mm. And it was a compelling vision to me of moderate Islam. I mean, and this was in, I think, the mid 2000s. I, I saw like half or two thirds of the movie. Uh, and it was that same kind of thing where if you had just flashed up on the screen, hey, there's a bunch of Muslims who think the extremist terrorists are bad dudes who are doing terrible things and defacing their religion, it would have been like, whatever. But seeing the vision of this guy who was willing to go to really incredible uh, lengths, put himself in a lot of danger um, to actually stop this of saying, like, as much as they're going to incredible lengths to hurt people, I'm going to go to incredible lengths to save people. Um, and and yeah. that was, I really liked it because even then, like, I knew I was being told a message. I knew, like, it was pretty obvious, partly because of when the movie came out, or at least when I was watching it, where it's like, you are clearly telling me not all Muslims are bad. And I was like, and that's fine. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Cool. Okay. So my third movie is Bambi. Very interesting. Classical. I I'm not actually sure I've watched all of Bambi. 
Oh my gosh, that's just very. Depressing. I mean, I haven't seen Dumbo. My knowledge of the gosh. Disney classics is very slim. Oh my gosh, uh, I, I wrote something down for this. Uh, the last of Walt's golden line of animation masterpieces. His studio's artistry is on brilliant display in every aspect of production. Some of the least dialogue in any Disney animation films with powerful symbolic music, wonderful impressionistic background art inspired by late, the late Tyrus Wong, who died in um, just 2016. He was like over a hundred years old and a mastery over animation that hasn't been surpassed since. The great tragedy is that it was a flop when it for was first released. This is, this is like, of course I needed to inter like at least have one animation. There were plenty yep. of animated movies that could go to the top, top five movies of my life. Um, another one that was kind of like, I wasn't willing to put both of them on my list, but like it was a cop between um, Bambi and Pinocchio. Which I know you love. Pinocchio. <laughs> I recognize it's a better movie than I think. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of an inside joke. I was very traumatized by Pinocchio. Uh, we watched it when I was in first grade, but yeah. our class ran long and we stopped when he was inside <laughs> the whale. It's not a good time to stop that movie. It is just at the lowest point you can get. And so was, he I, goes. I'm still Josh a little bit goes traumatized. Back, by to, back to, uh, to see his mom. Um, and his mom's like, are you okay, Josh? And, and Josh is like, no, we watched a movie and she's like, a movie. It's like Pinocchio and mom, it wasn't the Christian version, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Every piece of that, like I think back on, I mean, and I see it a fair amount with Emma too, where it's like, oh man, like that's the exact same kind of stuff where people talked about like just having a hard time not laughing at the stuff that I did. I mean, like you don't want to laugh right in front of the kid, but it's like, I see Emma do the same stuff where it's that same kind of like just energy and drive. And I got yeah. this. And it's like, oh man, kid, like, yeah, you, you just keep burning on that. Yeah. So, which, which I'm between Pinocchio and Bambi. And Josh, you agree that animation, especially if you like world building, is probably something you are pretty drawn to. I, I hope to hear one or at least one um, movie reference of animation on your list. But anyway, the top five are animation. I mean, The Grinch is sort of a pseudo animated movie. No, um, Josh. But Pixar couldn't get on your list. I, I mean, it's uh, several times on the. Um, Honorable mentions. Okay. But anyways, what, what I want to say about Bambi without, because literally, guys, I've done so much research on Disney old animation and just like this movie alone. I could talk from here for another hour and still be talking very intently about Bambi. But um, it the reason I think it's so potent to me is I watched it at a very potent age and I don't necessarily know if it was the best because like I was devastated and I need to go into spoilers so whoever hasn't watched Bambi just watch it okay yeah that's but, a like, problem <laughs> they yeah they kill Bambi's mom talk about like doesn't how... Bambi's dad die too no not necessarily Bambi um 
loses his mom to a hunter and it's devastating guys i mean and talk about a way to kind of make things more devastating by not showing the mom they don't show the dead body of the mom they just have bambi wander in the like snow empty snow calling out for her its mom with all of us knowing like just deep down that that's not gonna happen like she's not coming back and then the father kind of showing up out of nowhere and saying your mom will not you know your mom can't see you anymore you know and anyways i i just think that the guts that walt disney and the other creators had at the time to kind of tell a story and know what children are capable of understanding even if they don't always want to kind of face that stuff is very gutsy and what is not done in any kind of of the same to the same extent as it was back then and yet i think the reason why waltz snow white and seven dwarves fantasia pinocchio dumbo and bambi why those movies are so powerful is very much because walt was like no kids need to learn these lessons and these have like like he he was able to make them happy enough at the end to kind of get away with it and yet he had such guts i mean uh, there was i mean story... if you stop watching pinocchio halfway through it's awful <laughs> yeah there's a story of um, the witch in um, Snow White changing, and they were doing a test screening. And in the back of the theater, somebody began screaming bloody murder. And they needed to take this young girl out of the theater. And, like, this is against character, but Walt went out of the theater, too. And what we found out is it was actually his daughter who was screaming. And he makes sure he has the time to go back in and say, that was great, boys. Don't change a thing. Like, this was his, his daughter, that you know? That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, with Bambi, his daughter, from, from what I know, begged Walt to not kill Bambi. And Walt basically said, no, this kind of thing needs to be said you know because this type of thing happens at times people children sometimes lose their mom and need to stay strong and push through and guys it's just what we would have had if people weren't stupid and the war world war dude didn't happen and well was able to have success with bambi and pinocchio and it's, it's just crazy but i could go on so josh take take over what is your what's your number two uh, number two, this is the other movie that I think you will like quite a bit from my list, um, and it will not surprise you at all. It is Inception. Um, oh, interesting. Which is one of the things about Inception. Uh, I was one of the moments that really like, I mean, I watched it with you midnight showing and I walked out of it and I was like, this movie has no intention of being anything except a great movie. Like Christopher Nolan swings for the fences. Either like either he pulls it off and it's incredible, or this jumbled mass of timelines and dream sequences doesn't make any sense and it's awful. Um, by the by I the way, he, I want to say, um, thirteen years old, a little too young for Inception. Just so you guys know, uh, I think it went just a little over Esther's head. <laughs> 
<laughs> Keep going. Oh, actually, yeah, that movie would be brutal. Because I was like, I, I was thinking, running it through like the appropriateness filter, and I was like, it's not, you know, like, there's nothing that bad in there, but it's like, of course you're not going to. I think, I'm trying to think of how old I was when Inception came out. Uh, it was 2010, Josh. Okay, so I was just graduating from high school, and I had to watch it, I think, four times before I felt really good that I had a solid handle on everything <laughs> that was going on. Um, nice. But, like, the time that really uh, drove it home for me of, like, this is an incredible movie, is my uh, college roommate was watching it. And I was, like, I just had, like, 15 or 20 minutes to kill before I had somewhere to go. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just watch a little bit of Inception, finish the movie. <laughs> Where it's like... <laughs> Like, it was just such a gripping movie. The characters, uh, the world, I mean, as far as world building, like, it was fascinating. And, like, trying to figure out, like, it's a Rubik's Cube for your mind. Like, you're you're trying to put all these pieces together. What's happening? Is it is it real? Is it fake? Um, is this believable? Like, just all of those pieces. It's, it's a heist movie. It's a thriller. Um, it's psychological. It's a guy being reunited with his family or maybe not. And, like, trying to work through the guilt of that. Like, oh. God, there's all the pieces. It's great. Um, and so, like, yeah, the combination of doing all this really cool stuff um, and, like, what is your mind? What is reality? Like, what are the actual limits of what we can do? And then, uh, again, kind of the, in, in ways that are funny to me, it's sort of similar to the Grinch of, like, that examination of mental health. And it's, like, two very different pictures of what it looks like to deal with and sort through your problems. Um, but in both cases, like having having the significant grief and how do, how do we get through it? How do we work through it? How do we deal with it? Um, and and also, like, what is reality? How sure are you that what you're seeing right now is real? And it like it brushes up against those. Like it's not hard for a movie that hits those questions to get real insufferable real fast. Um, oh yeah. But Inception doesn't do that. Where it's just kind of in an offhand way. Are you sure this is real? Um, <laughs> And it's, I, I really like it. And it, the tea, it, it, it just, there's just a lot of pieces to that movie. Like it's, in addition to all that serious stuff, it's just really fun to watch. Like cool stuff is happening all the way. There's this really complex stuff. They're solving problems. They're doing stuff. It's, uh, it's this great diverse uh, cast of characters and they all do uh, this different stuff. Yeah. So I, I really, really enjoy Inception. Um, yeah the only thing i would say there's so much you could say about that movie but like in terms of what made it work with me i've thought about it through the years because i've watched it it's one of those that you just need to watch more than once like oh, yeah. you can't just watch it once no matter um who what development you are because you just need to be like oh wow does this measure up or does this not and to be honest my frustration with it is there some concepts that just don't like no matter how, how how hard I try, don't measure up. But what really makes um Inception work for me is uh Leonardo DiCaprio's performance. Yep. And as I'm not trying to say it's his best performance, I'm just trying to say he goes about it with such conviction that like yeah. no matter whether the story is necessarily earning it or not, he makes us believe it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, every emotional kind of term, torment that um, or, like, emotional thing that's going on usually revolves around him in some way. And he's so convincing, it just drives you forward. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so, that, oh, like, he's the perfect actor. 
another funny note about Inception, um, that was the first movie that I really, uh, that was the movie that formed my mental image of Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, oh. So I have such a different like baseline image of it. Like I've never seen Titanic. Um, <laughs> it's like, I have such a different view of Leonardo DiCaprio of everybody else. Like it's Inception. And then I'm trying to think, I think there was another movie um, it, but like there were a couple of those like around then but Inception was the first one that I was like oh because I had heard the name Leonardo DiCaprio a bunch of times and I was like whatever and then I saw Inception and I was like wait this guy? You're describing this guy as a heartthrob? <laughs> and, uh, and so it was just always funny to me the way I think about Leonardo is is pretty different from a lot of other people <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's that's not related so much to whether or not I like it it's just a funny thing to me about Inception and the role it plays in my life so that's a good pick i i like that um so my my second one would be um ikuru by akura kurosawa Mm. i'm sure you're familiar josh i've heard Um, the name of the director and only because i'm friends with you (laughs) (laughs) nice this movie it's it's so devastating it's not even funny although i would recommend you not try to watch it with a family that hates foreign films um for mm. your birthday because oh. it's about two and a half to three hours long oh. and you just aren't going to get them to kind of commit in the way that you need to in order to really appreciate, yeah, that's fair. appreciate the film so this is probably one i'm not necessarily saying you should ever watch josh even though your life would be such like so impacted if you really able to buy into it but basically the story involves a middle-aged man who works for a bureaucracy um in like a government kind of official building where he needs to approve building stuff the kind of disdain that kurosawa has for um bureaucracy is that how you say it yep is, is uh pretty pretty overwhelming like he's like there's a whole sequence where this like group of women just jump from one apartment to another apartment and they just send them to a different apartment saying oh if you really want to uh, find out about whether your kids could build a playground over here you need to go to this place and then oh no no you really need to go to this place or and it just is like a whole three minutes of just them getting more and more pissed off, you know, because nobody is like wanting to actually work on um, making the world a better place. And so all those things are so well uh, presented within the first like 10, 15 minutes of the film. And then we see the main character um, wannabe go to the doctor and he has stomach cancer. And so then he needs to kind of, basically the rest of the story is him kind of needing to deal with um, this new revelation and what is he going to do with the with his life from here on out. And it's not a big thing that he does. He doesn't like change the world or anything. Um, but it's just so powerful so unconventional in the narrative you think it's going to go a certain place and it doesn't go to that place and the ending is simply i mean it just is so good and on so many levels i can't 
I can't explain it, Josh. Um, I am doing a study on it, and I, I posted the first part of the study online, which I will give you a link to maybe. So you could, um, yeah, sit. definitely. Um, and it's about 5,000 words, um, and it's covered the first maybe 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, but you could see definitely what I like about film through that. And it's simply a masterpiece in filmmaking, all that. So, okay, there you go. My number two done. We're at the big number one films of all time. Because if it's on our list, it must be on everybody else's, right? I mean, there are a lot of people who would agree with me about this movie being the best or one of the best ever, and you are definitely not one of those people. Um, so <laughs> okay. the number one movie for me is The Princess Bride. Um, oh my goodness, Josh. You don't even have a Star Wars movie on your list? Yeah, so we can get to that. So a little aside for that. Uh, yeah. That made my honorable mentions list. There is no individual Star Wars movie that is that great of a movie. Uh, if I was going to put one, I thought about putting one on just as kind of an honorary Star Wars spot. But it occurred to me, none of those movies individually actually have earned that. Um, okay. At least not to me. Like, Star Wars, I love Star Wars. If we're talking about universes, it is my favorite universe by far. Um, if we're talking about a series of movies, I think Star Wars would definitely make it um, probably top two or three for me. But there's... The movie that would come closest is Return of the Jedi. Um, that, that's my favorite individual of the Star Wars movies because it actually wraps everything up and it's George Lucas being like, screw you guys, I don't want to make another movie. Like, I'm <laughs> tying up all of my loose ends here. Um, and, and so, like, I really like it. Like, I mean, and there's just a bunch of cool stuff that happens in it. But, like, it's not, okay. it's not a great movie. Like, it's a cool movie. But, mm -hmm. it, like, I mean, in all of these other movies, there's at least some of that, like, weightier underpinning... And there's some of that in Star Wars, but at a deep philosophical level, Star Wars is made for your inner 12-year-old boy, and your inner 12-year-old boy doesn't really care about weightier substance and matters. Um, okay. And, like, there's some departures from that, but none of the Star Wars movies, I would say, are great movies. They are fascinating. They are entertaining. It's a universe that I love, but no, no Star Wars movies in the top five. Um, okay. Anyway, back to the actual Sorry. top five. <laughs> I love The Princess Bride uh, very deeply for, for a number of years. Like, it's, it, it is, uh, it, also, that movie starts so slowly. Like, there was a time, I can't even remember what it was. It, this must have been five or ten years, at least ten years ago. I watched it, and I was like, oh, I know that I like The Princess Bride, but I was young enough that I didn't really remember the movie that well. I hadn't seen it that many times. Um, and so I was watching it, and, like, the first 10 or 15 movie minutes of that movie are not that funny or that good for that matter. <laughs> but like, it's you, like, there's nothing in those movies. that's like, like if you stopped me 15 minutes into the first time of watching the princess, I'd be like, this is pretty boring. Um, but like, <laughs> as you, as, like, I think it's important to set everything else up, but then it, it like it, it turns. And when you, when you meet, uh, Vicini Fezzik and, uh, Inigo, like then like it starts to go and like the pace of it just starts moving up and up and like it starts layering different things and it goes from this i mean the first 15 minutes are basically setting you up to think oh this is a super boring normal romance fairy tale like let's just hit every cliche that we can and then it starts to subvert those and play on each other and the characters yeah, yeah, are yeah. just so fascinating like everybody everybody in that movie it feels to me 
uh, like the actors, uh, I think this might frustrate you, but it feels like all the actors are having fun and love the acting that they're doing. Um, like oh, yeah, they're just yeah. so fully embodied. I guess maybe the more filmy way of saying that is every performance of every character is great. Like everybody really leaned into that. Um, and it just like, there's weird stuff that gets thrown on. And like, you start with it, it the, the different pieces on there. Um, I, I also love the way the story is told of the grandpa and the kid. Um, and so in addition to having the like princess bride story, you also have this other plot arc of the kid and the grandpa getting to know each other, the relationship. I mean, it's sort of similar to secondhand lines in that way of the, the kid and the grandpa getting to know each other better um, and getting to spend some valuable time together. That family tree. One of the other things that hits me about it is it is a family tradition of a book. Um, and that being renewed and moving on into the next generation um, and, and the, the building yeah, of that yeah. relationship um, it, it, and it's kind of a subplot of the movie um, is really cool. Also, um, it, this is sort of in the same way as The Grinch. Um, I've also read the book of uh, The Princess Bride and the book and the movie aren't that it's sort of like The Grinch in the, the book and the movie aren't that similar. But when I read, I was a little bit worried reading the book. Because I, I loved the movie before I ever read the book. And they're not that similar, but the spirit of them and that kind of quirky sense of humor and we're going to subvert your expectations. And like we are a, on the one hand kind of making like a satire of a classic movie, but we're also yeah. ma like we're making fun of it, but we're also playing paying homage to it. And, and like that those pieces of being highbrow and lowbrow entertainment at the same time. Like I love that. One of the other things that I feel like I should state about The Princess Bride, one of the things that I uh, is so great about it is the community of people that love it. Like, I can make off-the-wall Princess Bride quotes, and there is a very good chance that someone will get it. Like, I can just say weird stuff, like, anybody want a peanut? And there's a decent chance someone will recognize that as a quote of Fezzik. Or if I yell, everybody move in a particular way. Or if I say he's only mostly dead. There's so many beautiful things of The Princess Bride, but it's... Uh, like, like, Inconceivable. Yeah, yeah. Like it's this super, in a lot of ways, super simple and contained thing. That in one of my college classes, one of my professors, he would, uh, when he was switching topics in between, he would have us think about something completely different, and so we would just make lists of stuff on the board. Uh, and one of them was characters in The Princess Bride. And so I just, I mean, I always sit in the back of classes, but I just shut up because I was like, huh, I wonder how many everybody else will get. And then when everybody else was done naming, I, I mean, there's only like nine or 10 characters in the whole movie. Uh, I think the rest of the class got about five. And then I named off two or three and just left off another couples because I was like, I don't think it's necessary for the class to hear things. And they're like the albino. <laughs> and oh, the six fingered name is man is actually named Count Rogan and you spelled Fezzik's name wrong. And I was like, that's all excessive but like <laughs> um like, like it's this simple like in a box it, it's funny to me because it's not there is not very much world building in that movie like <laughs> the world is pretty boring um and it's just playing off of your expectations and, and so like one of the groups of people that loves this movie are my family and my extended family and so that is definitely one of the reasons that i like this movie the most that like my lived experience of this movie is great mm -hmm. um yeah, it is just a movie that makes me so happy. Another one. I am not left-handed. 
<laughs> I, there was a while in college where I was trying to learn how to play racquetball reasonably well left-handed just so I could do that <laughs> and just be able to play left-handed for a home and be like, I know something that you do not know. I am not left-handed and then start playing right-handed. Like, it didn't end up, like, actually uh, <laughs> making it something that happened. But, like, there's just so many of those beautiful gems of uh, of things that you get to see. Where you're like, oh, yes, that's that's good. So it's... I, I love The Princess Bride on a lot of... I mean, it's the movie that I'm probably closest to having... I don't have every line of dialogue mo- memorized, but I can make it through probably 80 or 90% of the movie. Oh, yeah, probably God, 80% so. of the movie word for word. Um, wow. If you were showing me... If, 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 like, if you were showing me the movie and having me fill in the dialogue, I think I could probably hit upwards of 90%. But, like, if I was just trying to talk through the script, I think I could get most of it right. We need to do that next time you visit. <laughs> just I would love to test you on and that. see yeah. how much I can fill in. Yeah, and I'll have Esther. That will be Esther's first uh, watching. <laughs> you um, can't ruin the movie for her like that. It's a no. good movie. The only thing I would say is it is one of those movies that, like, if I I uh, kind of see it on TV, you just like are like, oh yeah, that's, and then you're like, oh, that's such a brilliant scene. And then it goes to the next one. And you're like, oh, this is brilliant, too. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to sit down. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you just, I mean, because after, like you said, after the first 10 minutes or so, it just is like a pile on of, like, just super memorable. It has its own thing kind of um, scenes where you are either ch- chuckling to yourself or just, like, really out loud. But I do not stop watching it. You just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so enticing. Well, Josh, um, this is kind of ironic and sad at the same time because I am about to, like, completely, I mean, I'm going to take your happy, wonderful um, (laughs) Princess Bride and just completely ruin the mood by um, saying my, my number one. So... Just be prepared for a little bit of a gear shift here. All right, all um, right, all right. I'm bringing it down. Okay. Uh, my favorite movie of all time, the, the biggest reason why I want to become a filmmaker, um, it, it just I can't, couldn't possibly say enough about how much I like this movie and how, how crucial it is to me um, as a filmmaker is Schindler's List. I wondered if it was going to be that one. When you started talking about it, I was like, that sounds like it's going to be Schindler's List. Because I've heard you talk about it a couple (laughs) times before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I I once thought there's absolutely no way somebody could argue that there's a better movie than that and be it be true because it's just so good in every way. And I I wouldn't go there anymore. But for me, Schindler's List is just the most powerful film like ever made. I, I wrote a little something. I said, Schindler's this is why I want to be a filmmaker. It's not about its entertainment value or value or even its shock value. What Schindler's List did for me was communicate the value of being a human. I could not ask for anything greater in a movie. I mean that kind of says it in in a pretty short way. It's like it just simply like it has nothing to do even though it's brilliantly shot you know um it doesn't have to do with form whatsoever it has to do with like 
a, a story that was so powerful about um, what humanity could do, you know, that it just completely changed my view on what, like, what I'm on this earth to do myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the most devastating movie uh, part of it, and I would suggest you just watch it before. So if you haven't ever watched Shinless, I, I, I don't think I have. I don't think I have. Josh. So it, actually, the thing that I was going to say that it occurred, I don't know why I've never asked you this before. So I donate platelets. Um, and when you're donating platelets, it takes a really long time because they take the, your blood out, spin it out, and just take the platelets, which is one part of your blood out. And then they put the rest of it back into you. This takes a while. So you're sitting there for like two hours, which is convenient, or it's like two and a half, three hours, whatever. But so the thing that they do is they just they have video screens and you can watch movies. Uh, and so the other piece that I so they have movies there that you can pick out and watch. And I've watched, yeah, I've watched all kinds of stuff there. Watched Solo again last week, which, yeah, sorry, that's another Star Wars rabbit trap. Don't um, do one of the not that I tinge my, don't tinge my Schindler's List movies sorry. by talking about. No, so the thing I was realizing is I can request uh, DVDs of whatever from the library. And I think Schindler's List would definitely be one worth doing because one of the things that I don't do that you do. So you watch movies very intensively and I frequently will just kind of watch them in passing or, you know, be watching them with my daughter or whatever. But it's like when I'm donating platelets, I'm literally doing nothing. I am not moving and I am entirely focused on the movie, uh, just listening to it through headphones. So I think that would be a good time to watch something like Schindler's List um, or um a separation i don't i don't know that i want to watch that that might be a little bit too much sauce for me but maybe someday maybe through watching schindler's list i will devote develop the emotional depth uh to watch some of those other ones but it, uh maybe offline i kind of want to get a list of movies from you that i should watch uh, i mean yeah. you're the person i trust more about movies than maybe anyone else because you've got both the high-minded stuff but you recognize what i like out of movies exactly so, I have not and i have a, a few actually that i was thinking about since you've yeah. But anyways, what I want to say about Schindler's List, and I apologize, do you mind if I like spoil oh, yeah. a little bit? Yeah, you yeah, do I, know the basic story. It's based yeah. on a true story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I've so, seen the end of it. Okay, good, good. Because it is the end that I want to say. Oh, okay. But um the most crucial scene in my life, like, and this is like talking one of the most crucial scenes whether it be real life or movies, is at the end when um, Schindler is being is needing to flee because he um, he actually the Germans have officially lost and he's now being hunted because you know he's technically considered a a person who is supporting the German um, army and so he's about to leave. And the Jews, the 1,200 Jews that he's helped save, um, give him a few little gifts. And one of them, one of the gifts is this ring. And he has this comment when he's getting these gifts and all of the people are around, you know, um, watching him as he leaves. He tells one of his most, uh, his best friends, um, he confides in him, he says, I could have gotten more. Why didn't I get more? And he he looks at that that ring and he's like, this would have this would have gotten me another Jew. This would have gotten. And then he points to the car he's about to use to leave, and he's like, this would have gotten me a half a dozen, maybe even a dozen. It would have given me six more Jews. It would, I would have been able to save. And 
the most powerful part of that is we are very clearly told throughout the movie that Schindler is not the most like, like um, he, he'll discover this pretty quick. He's not like the greatest human on earth. He's, he's a womanizer who sleeps with other women instead of his wife, you know, and um, pretty self-oriented at the beginning, uh, struggles with alcohol. I mean, like all sorts of things that like show how imperfect of a person he is, right? And yet I saw that, and yet even after that imperfection, this man was saying, I could do more. I could help. I could save one more person. And like, I was like, man, if this guy who's done so much is saying that, what excuse do I have? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. that's a pretty powerful, whether you want to apply it to Christianity or simply just your your reason for being a human being, you know, is like always understand that that is like there is that that you're going to need to reckon with, whether it's with yourself or, you know, at the pearl pearly gates. I think that you will come to that reckoning and you know like that that needs that like that's huge and i i think you need to like if you could understand it at such a young age like i felt like i began to understand it it's doing you so much more good than if you go most of your life without you know because that's what humanity needs the most you know what i'm saying is yeah. to be able to recognize you know it's the it's so good. Such a good movie, guys. It's, so, anyways, let's uh, quickly go through a few honorable mentions and then call this good. Yeah. Does that sound good? So, yeah. um, do you want to go first? I, I need to hear some of these uh, animated movies, Josh. That. Um, yeah, so we'll get, like, halfway through my list, and then there's, like, three of the last four, or two of the, three of the last seven, or whatever. Okay, so, Lord of the Rings, great movies. Star Wars, yes. love the universe. Um, the Matrix... Um, it was sort of like Inception for mind bending, and also they just do a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, the Martian uh, for dealing with uh, survival and putting stuff together. V for Vendetta um, for some of the fi uh, philosophical thoughts and uh, oh, how yeah, you deal with yeah. a lot of that. Uh, Boondock Saints for uh, this band of or this pair of brothers who figure out what they believe and they do something about it. I mean, whether or not what they do is a good idea is a whole separate thing, but they're doing it. <laughs> Um, the Incredibles, particularly the second one, uh, nailed the nailed family dynamics so well for me. Oh, uh, it okay. spoke yeah. so truly totally. to so many of those pieces. Um, Toy Story, Toy Story Two is when I think of the movies of my childhood. It's Toy Story Two and Aladdin. I love those movies. We had them on VHS, watched them all the time. Um, three is pretty good too. In this apocalyptic, I'm going to college too, and what happens to my toys sort of way. Um, Ocean's Eleven, not any of the subsequent movies, but Ocean's Eleven, sweet. Um, Gladiator, the part of it that makes me cry. When I was talking about cry, uh, movies that make me cry, is what made was what made me think of it when the Numidian is burying it or burying his, like a figuring of his wife and child. And it's like, I will see you guys, but not yet. I start tearing up every time. Uh, remember the Titans, uh, another emotional, like we can get through this. We can be better than our racism in our past. Um, and then for a hard right turn, Shrek. 
um, as a movie that really just <laughs> tickles, like that it just nails my sense of humor and that same kind of uh, subverting it, like in the Princess Bride, subverting the traditional fairy tale, tale thing, that kind of offbeat humor um, and dealing with those um, serious, like mental rejection kind of stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, those are, those are all, I, I totally understand how a lot of those could be connections to you. So mine will be a little bit more scattered and all over the place, but um, these are just super, super good films, guys. Um, as I said, Pinocchio, really close to making my top list, but I wanted to um, do a different type of um, animated movie. Um, up is my favorite Pixar movie, um, followed pretty closely by Inside Out. Which... Oh, crap. Up is a major oversight. That is oh. uh, that is such a phenomenal movie. Favorite yeah. love story of all time for me. But oh, anyway. good. Yeah. Uh, the Social Network is my favorite Fincher film. Fincher is just a brilliant artist, but social that Social Network just was devastatingly good when I first watched it and has not lost very much of its potency. Um, if we want to go really dark and tragic, I would say Blue Valentine is just the most, and it's been very powerful because my parents are are, are divorcing still, you know, and that, that it's not a happy story. Do not watch a Blue Valentine's if you want to be feel happy about life in any any way. Igmar Bergman, another one that if you, if you just don't watch, I mean, don't watch any of this guy's films if you want to see, be happy about life, but it's still, he's such a good filmmaker. Um, have you even heard of that? No. Nope. Oh my gosh. Igmar Bergman is such a brilliant filmmaker. Um, my favorite one of his is Autumn Sonata. It's a, it's just a devastatingly good um, chamber piece, which means like it takes place mostly in one location and, it's between a, a daughter and her mom. Um, let's see. Uh, Charlie Chaplin's City Light. Uh, City Lights is fantastic. Uh, would the I Miracle. Like that movie? I've never watched any. Yes, uh... Josh, you would love that. You should watch that. That's a perfect movie right now. Although, I would say there are better movies for Emma than Charlie. But, like, it's a safe movie. And she yeah, likes I mean, that's on the list of like Charlie Chaplin's a name that I know, and I'm like, I probably should have seen at least a Charlie Chaplin movie. So I'll throw it on the list, get it, get it from the library, and go watch it sometime. Yeah, Mary Poppins is one of my favorite live-action Disney movies I've ever watched. I also came so close to doing a six because I thought a documentary should have been um, named, and this is just one of the best document, the best documentary I have ever watched by a good amount. It's called The Look of Silence. It basically covers a family that survives the genocide um, in Indonesia, confronts, uh, they confront the man who killed one of their brothers. So like, so there's a genocide that happened in Indonesia in the 1960s. And this guy literally goes to people who he knows are responsible for killing, not just his brother, but like, tens of thousands of other people who wow. just you know children and um mothers like and they they are not they aren't sorry josh like they aren't apologetic oh, very wow. often 
Yeah, and it's just, you just wonder what humanity has become, and yet it's pretty good stuff. The Miracle Worker is one of my favorite. Um, it's kind of like a Dead Poets Society thing where... Is I that, bet you would like that, Josh. Oh, Patch Adams is the one I'm thinking of. That's not... Yeah, The Miracle Worker is a little artsy-fartsy. The one I like the most, it's from the 1960s. But I bet you would find that. And and Megan would like that one, too. In my opinion. So, um, then my favorite Star Wars... Can you guess my favorite Star Wars movie, Josh? I would assume it's five Empire Strikes Back or four. Yes. Yeah, five would be my guess. Nice job. How did you know? I mean, that's the people who care more about filmmaking and like Star Wars than me generally like five the most. <laughs> okay. That's what I've heard where I'm like, oh yeah, I can see that. There's some good stuff there. Nice. Um, Another one that you might like, especially if you get the English translation version, is Your Name. Have you heard of that? Nope. Dude, you would find that fascinating. Another animation movie that I think if you could tolerate a kind of... It's a, it's a humorous movie, but it's kind of slow. But Megan would love is uh, My Neighbor Tortoro. Have you heard of that? No. Oh, I bet that you would just find that fascinating and um let me see i need to i need to slowly get off of this i can just go all night um there's this japanese director um who's just brilliant his name is hirokazu kurita um and he did this one called still walking which is just basically another chamber piece which is about uh a son who's coming to return to um, visit his dad and at a father and mother at a fa uh, family gathering. And there was this big tragedy that happened a few years back. And it's just sort of good commentary on, on people and humans. Although I don't think this is for you necessarily, Josh, because you said you want worlds or building. Um, but the other one he did is shoplifters, which is, was made, just the last year, so good because it's just, it's about this like very on the bottom, like low, way low class kind of family, but they aren't really a family, but they find this um, little child that's being abused and they take her in. And this is not necessarily ethical. Like we aren't supposed to be like, yeah, you just take a kid if they, she's getting abused and you don't know the whole story, you know? And yet, um, just such a beautiful kind of humorous story on that part. So, okay, Josh, you know I could go go on, right? Yeah. Um, oh, oh, yeah, Josh. The one I was going to ask if you listen to is um, or or watch is Cloud Atlas. I have, have heard of that? but I, I have heard of it. I remember thinking, huh, that looks like something that I would like, and then it just drifted off my radar, and I never never watched it. Yeah, totally. You should totally watch it just because of your liking of uh, world building. And I think you will find a lot of it frustrating, but you will probably also find a lot of it like deeply fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, was, it, that was that feeling that I got when I saw the trailers for it. Um, and by the way, have you ever heard of the movie Her? Oh, jeez. Yes. I, I saw the trailers for it and was like, nope, never want to watch that one. 
Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't trying to say I would suggest it. To talk about a movie, I would be fascinated hearing your opinion on because it's just so, um, like, like it is a world building. Like, what about this future? And it's so different from any other future movie you've ever watched. And it hits a bunch of troubling. interesting emotional buttons for me. It, it, like, I would be kind of fascinated by my actual response to it as opposed to just my response to the trailer. So, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it is way past my bedtime. So, yes. Yes, so you get going. Um, I am so sorry, everyone, that this is so long. I guess one more movie, Josh, I want you you should write down, although you probably won't be able to get it right away, is Chernobyl, the, the TV series. Uh, it, like, it's a five-part piece. Is that on Netflix? No, it's on HBO, that's why. Oh, but okay, you, that's... You, you would eat this story up it's just like it's just a perfect kind of like um the world is so interesting you know it's not like concentrated on one person it's so intense like 24 7 like you would just you just not be able to stop watching and yet um it's actually based on a true story so yeah I mean, you know Chernobyl, so... Yeah, I mean, I would expect something with the name Chernobyl to be based in reality. It'd be kind of weird yeah. if it wasn't. Anyway. Exactly. Okay. Well, also, that's, the uh, Mariners won. Josh, don't talk. Come on. There must be a better way to end this this podcast. Than... I can't imagine that there is. Okay. Bye. See you, Jacob. Bye.